Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's news talk radio, TNT. How are we all? It's not a, a bump, it's not a speed bump. It is over the hump, hump day, Wednesday. And I hope that you're having a terrific one wherever it is that you happen to be. A big thank you to Chris Smith and uh, a terrific couple of hours in store for you all. I'll be talking to Gemma Cooper imminently. Also, the Aussie Cossack, Simeon Boykov, a regular on my program each day. Uh, Katie Ashby Coppins will be speaking with her. A bunch of stuff. She's been a civil litigator for the last 20 years, first in New Zealand, now in Australia, and she's fighting for the damage that has been done over the last three years as a result of COVID-19, the mandates that ensued and all the rest of it. And wow, I'm just reading her bio and uh, some good results, and she has been fighting hard. So we'll be chatting with her at about half past also, Joanna Nova. Um, I was going to open with COP28, but we'll be talking to both her and Craig Kelly in the second hour. I'll be talking to Craig Kelly on COP28, so you probably don't want to hear me open with that right now because there will be lots to do with that. And, of course, in our second hour as well, we're going to be talking to Kira Lee Smith, if my memory serves me correctly, and it does, uh, about a whole bunch of things things for you ladies, because she advocates for you all very, very well and a truer champion of women you will not find. Now, when you want to, um, if you want some fertilizer, where you might want to head off is to is the Washington Post, because the Washington Post has recently put out a thing. Now, this is something we would just know. We would know if this was true. Everybody knows somebody in Russia you know, they're not cut off from the rest of the world. It's not as they would have you believe North Korea is. And I don't even believe that North Korea is how they would have you believe that is. And in fact, I've interviewed a couple of guys who did a documentary called The Haircut, available on social media for free. A couple of left-wing, believe it or not, university students who set out to prove that all of these things that I've been saying about Kim, Kim Jong-un and previous uh, leaders over in North Korea is complete BS, which brings me back to, oh, sorry, not the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. Not that the Washington Post isn't exactly in the same basket. They would have you believe that Russia, I hope you're sitting down, I really do, has lost almost 90% of its pre-war army. That's what the US is saying, and that, that's what the Wall Street Journal would have you believe as well. Now, I'll read a part of it for you. The war in Ukraine has devastated Russia's pre-invasion military machine with nearly 90% of the pre-war army lost or or lost to death or injury. Wow. I'm not buying it, are you? Uh, and thousands of battle tanks destroyed, according to the newly declassified US intelligence assessment. Yeah, a couple of words I don't like to use in the same sentence, uh, shared with Congress. Now, the intelligence assessment, according to the congressional source, says that 315,000 Russian personnel have been killed or injured since February of 22, since the invasion began, um, or 80% of Moscow's pre-war uh, force of 360,000. Now, don't forget, it was the Wall Street Journal, it was the Washington Post and CNN who were telling you that the casualties, as you know, recently, we're talking only a few months ago, were as low as 12,000 on each side. When it comes to people who had died, uh, they weren't really forthcoming with the amount of people who may have been injured. But certainly we do understand that on both sides, that has been rather horrific. 
But uh, certainly to suggest that the bulk of 87%, almost 90% of the Russian army is now dead or seriously injured to the point where they can no longer fight, I think is a, a load of codswallop. And I think you might too. Now, there is a thing, Simeon Boykov, the Aussie Cossack, was telling us about it, and it's in the news today. Basically, now, how many other world leaders, especially when it comes to one of the ones at the very top, uh, would spend some time, in fact, you know, a good part of his day, taking or fielding calls and questions from anybody? We're not just talking about the media, certainly not just the media that they allow in. We're talking about, you know, everyday Joes, in Moscow and anywhere over in America, probably even the Ukraine, you can ring up and you can ask Vladimir Putin a question and he'll answer it. Whether, uh, as the Aussie Cossack suggested, it's a local council who haven't uh, seen fit to unblock a drain or something quite serious like this particular statement suggesting that 90% of its pre-war army is now deceased or seriously injured. Now, I'm not buying it. We'd know that. We would have felt it. We certainly wouldn't need a, um, a declassified US government report for us to know because there would be so many outraged Russian parents who would just be devastated. And because they're not cut off from the world, they're not cut off from the internet, we would hear it. We would know. We would know on social media. And they're not being silenced. And certainly they would be very vocal if that was the case. And they just kept sending people to die. But I would suggest that this may in fact, and because we're living in bizarro world, where if you want the truth, you just wait for the liars to give you their version of the truth and you flip it on its head and there it is. That will be the actual truth. So if they were to tell me or if somebody was to tell me and I feel that it might be true and I have nothing to back it up and uh, nor would you, but uh, if that was to be said of the Ukrainian army, who are now so desperate, they're, they're getting, you know, just men off the street, you know, young young boys, 16, walking down the street with their dad. Come on, you're off to the front lines and you're going to fight. Now, that I would believe that the Ukrainian army could well have lost up to 90% of those. They've certainly lost uh, far more than that as far as people fleeing the country and becoming refugees, not necessarily because they didn't want to get blown up, because Vladimir Putin has been very clever, very careful not to hurt civilians, not to hurt women, unlike another country that I could mention. And as a result, all of those people that have fled to parts of the EU and uh, UK, for example, they're, uh, they're not cowards. They're people that don't want to fight a war, a war that they don't believe in. They don't want to fight against the Russians. And I would suggest that when Russia wins this war, and they will, those people may well return to the Ukraine when it is uh, back in the control of the Russians. I That's my take on it. I think that makes a lot more sense. I think that would read a bit truer, but I don't know. I'd love your thoughts on it. And of course, you can do that right here at TNT Radio. In fact, at TNT Radio, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 and online globally, no matter what, we've got you covered here at TNT Radio. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we're back. It is that time. And in fact, I do it twice during my two-hour program. I get to talk to the wonderful uh, Gemma Cooper, who breaks news. And I and I always hijack uh, before I... Uh, 
before I ask her to tell us what's breaking at the moment. Gemma, I would very much like your take when you hear a story coming from uh, allegedly US intelligence broken by the a very uh, not so impartial Wall Street Journal suggesting that up to 90% of Russia's pre-war army is now either dead or severely de debilitated. Um, does that ring true to you? No, it's, I mean, it's so sensationalist. You're thinking you, it's exactly what you say. It's the inversion. You think, really? How can that be possible? And we've not heard a word about that. You know, you're talking about a decimation of the population, you know, it, it, akin to kind of like not World War One in that scale, but in terms of the kind of for that country, you know, so you're thinking, hang on a minute, where surely there would be other news outlets reporting that as well, not just one. Um, so, yeah, it's like it's one of those kind of like immediately a spider sense is tingling and you're like, really, yes. really? That, that's, and, that's all I've got to say about that one. Anything coming out of the mainstream that's as sensationalist as that in one outlet only. No, that wouldn't be the yeah. case. And Gemma, let's face it. It's 2023. They've got high speed Internet in uh, Russia. They haven't been cut off from the rest of the Internet. We would know. We would hear. We would have mothers and fathers absolutely devastated. They'd be screaming it from the rooftops. We would know and we would have known long before now. So I, I'd say we'll, we'll put that one in the inverted and uh, send it off to Bizarro World. And I think that then will possibly be in the realm of reality. You've got some breaking news as always. Well, I'll just update you, actually. We talked uh, on Monday about Rishi Sunak facing this groundbreaking vote in the Commons about Rwanda. That happened uh, yesterday, happened last night at UK time. And we're not at the moment this morning uh, looking down the barrel of a general election because he did win that vote um, about the Rwanda legislation. He wants to be able to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda and let the Rwandan government deal with them. He's passed that first vote in the House of Commons. There were a few absent, um, absent oh, abstainers. I can't never get that surprise. word. Surprise, yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought I'd let you know that um, Suella Breverman, I know you're a bit of a fan of Breverman, she abstained because she doesn't think his bill goes far enough. So she she withdrew from the vote. But uh, it's got through. So no general election being called, which I think she is quite quietly <laughs> relieved about. But that's not the story. I just thought I'd bring you an update on that one. The story this morning is uh, COP28, which I know you're going to talk about extensively in the first hour of the show. Uh, but in the last hour, a new uh, draft final agreement has been published uh, in Dubai all about fossil fuels. This is a first for the uh, the COP uh, countries, actually. Uh, this document, it's a draft document. It hasn't been signed off yet by the president of COP, um, but more details will come out later. But the, it was calling all countries, all 198 countries, to transition away from fossil fuels, oil, gas and coal, not phase them out, but transition away, which is what many people were demanding. Uh, so it's an interesting document, this. It says... It recognizes the need for, and this is a direct quote this morning, deep, rapid and sustained reductions in oil, gas and coal if humanity is to limit the rise of no more than 1.5 degrees centigrade in the climate. Um, at no previous COP conference have the nations agreed ever on a concentrated move away from oil, gas and coal. So this is obviously Agenda 2030 in full gallop now yeah. as they try and push towards the sustainable goals. Um, there are a lot of loopholes in the language, which is interesting. Um, and it's saying things like, you know, previous documents said countries could take action to move away 
fossil fuels. Now they're saying countries should contribute to the process of moving away from fossil fuels. Now, you know, whether or not this actually happens or whether this is a PR spin to make everyone around the world think it's going to happen, I don't know. So it's interesting the reaction from some of the countries in the last hour. Norway says, and this is really interesting, Norway says, finally, their climate minister says, finally, we're addressing fossil fuels. It's been the elephant in the room for such a long time. Uh, We need to take action. Well, Norway, earlier new oil and gas fields. So they obviously know something we don't about fossil fuels if they're approving you know, new, new oil and gas fields. Iraq, which is a poor country reliant on oil for its income, says it wants t- more time and more money to make this transition because it says t- countries are different around the world. Uh, I, I wonder about this, whether it will happen at all. Obviously, we know the climate scam and it is a scam. It's a behavior control agenda because you know the last three and a half years didn't quite pan out the way they wanted it to pan out. So now it's climate, climate, climate. Um, and they're hoping that we will behave accordingly that way. I wonder if it's just PR spin, because if you think about it, I'm not even going to mention the fact that, you know, they all flew there. That's beside the point. Think about the hotels all these people are staying in. There's thousands of journalists out there. They're in Dubai. All these hotels have got massive air conditioning, probably run, it's going to be run on oil, oil powered air conditioning units. You know, can they not see that they're all jumping up and down, all the journalists, all the countries saying, oh yeah, we're doing really well. We're, we're, We're taking action on fossil fuels. Well, if you were really taking taking action on fossil fuels, you wouldn't have gone. You know, yeah. It's as simple as that. You would have done it remotely. So the, it, it's, uh, it is, I think it's PR. Well, we're taking action, but we're not going to really because we're going to carry on. I hope people do carry on. And even if they do all start to take action and they sign this agreement later when the final version is thrashed out, uh, it's whether or not we'll comply. We'll, we'll, whether we'll comply with it and whether we will not just start jumping up and down and saying, you can do what you want at your COP conferences, but we're going to stick to what we want, thank you very much, and we don't agree. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we were autonomous and we could do what we wanted rather than have a bunch of uh, global white ants in place who will go forward with this, regardless of what the people, what the populace want, they'll do it. Some people say, I'd love for this to happen. So it falls on its backside. It fails. We can be done with it and move on. The problem is, I believe that this whole thing is to get us into a serious amount of debt. So by the time we realise it's not going to work, the fact that most of us already know that, doesn't really matter. It's a bit like the last three years. We kind of knew what was going to happen, but we had to wait for evidence of it to be taken seriously. We know this thing's going to fail. The problem is we'll be in such incredible debt by the end of it that it'll be too late to do anything. The other problem is all of the existing infrastructure, whether that be coal-fired powered stations or whatever, I would guarantee as soon as they put the wind farms and the solar farms, certainly not nuclear, which would be nice, but certainly not nuclear, um, they will bulldoze, literally bulldoze these things to the ground. So there is no going back. And by the time it'll take us 10 years to get back on our feet and uh, everyday life might resemble an episode of the Flintstones. So perhaps we could watch that for some helpful how-to day-to-day tips because I think we're going to need them the way we're going. But it's sheer lunacy. The hypocrisy is off the scale, Gemma. And I don't know when people are going to wake up. But as always, I would suggest after it's a bit too late. Yeah, after it's a bit too late. And of course, you just rightly painted a picture of like where we will be going with this. And, you know, it's comedy to say the Flintstones, but it's also not comedy because we have to do what we're told, which I hope we will not do this. Um, You know, we're in a completely different landscape. And of course, it will be about control of behavior, control of movement, the, the quality of our lives as human beings, all those kind of things. And this is the beginning of that. What is interesting is that, that, that it's the 
it's this uniting of the countries and this this bringing together of the 198 nations to agree on this, which has never happened before. So they're obviously gathering a pace and they're thinking, you know, we must do something to keep pesky humanity from destroying the planet, which we all know, you know, isn't going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's either that or it's a particular group who believe that they own the earth and that their offspring will inherit the earth. There are finite resources left and they'd like that all for them for future generations and not for the rest of us. I mean, that's another theory that's out there and it kind of rings a little bit true. Anyway, I guess we'll find out in time, hopefully before it's too late and hopefully it's not our grandkids who are, who are going to find that one out the hard way. Gemma Cooper, enjoy your work very much and uh, we'll be talking again next hour. Everybody, that's Gemma Cooper and we'll be back after this break with the Aussie Cossack. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. And welcome back to TNT Radio. It's that special time of the day when I get to talk to the Aussie Cossack, Simeon Boykov, a man renowned for his interactions with the police. Some amusing, some quite serious. But uh, despite the fact that he was quite often 
uh, treated very unfairly by the police. He always treated them very fairly and on a case-by-case basis. And something has come to light that we'll be talking about, and I'll let Simeon tell you about it today, involving the police. G'day, Simeon. Welcome to the program again. Dean, how are you going? Look, it's a situation that uh, I'm all too familiar with. It's a case of film the police, and a member of the public has graciously filmed this interaction with a female police officer in the Gold Coast uh, being overpowered by a male during a traffic stop. Now, she appears to grab the bloke out of his car. She's driving a police van. The first mistake is why is she by herself? The second mistake is why has she even been recruited to the police? She's asked uh, the bloke to get out. She's pulled her taser. Uh, he has charged at her and she's tried to get on top of him. Problem is that uh, he's tased, he's confused, and she has no idea what to do next. So you can hear her screaming. Sounds like a, like a domestic incident, the way she's screaming. Very heavy sound effects, very confronting. The man is suffering shock from the taser, and he looks like he's defending himself because he's confused as to why he's been tased during a traffic stop. Now, during the incident, she unsuccessfully uh, tries to restrain him. Someone from the general public is filming, a neighbor, and no one assists the female police officer. Now, this female police officer physically, as you can see in the video, she's not fit to be a cop. I don't know how they're passing these type of people because they're not, they didn't let the unvaccinated work. So they're really scratching the bottom of the barrel. This woman would not pass a physical test. Now, as the man gets to his feet, he doesn't hit her. He pushes her away. He doesn't do any dog shots or king hits. He doesn't punch her. He just tries to distance himself from her. So that's to his credit. Uh, then he runs away as a neighbor without a shirt on uh, continues filming. The woman is dazed, calling for backup. And this video is going absolutely viral all around social media. Uh, a lot of people are giving credit to the man for not actually hitting her. So he's been tased, but he hasn't had the, he's had the opportunity. He could have hit her. So I would be surprised how he would get charged with assault in this situation. My reading is that if she illegally tased him, if she illegally dragged him out of his vehicle, then he would have every chance in court to get off any charges at all, in my reading, of course. And I'm just a, a Bush Telegraph lawyer, Mackenzie's friend, as they're called. But I think it goes to his credit that he did not punch her or hit her. Uh, so it would be hard to say that he has assaulted police in this instance and pulling out a taser on a bloke who's sitting in his car, what's going on there? Very questionable. I think the responsibility for this incident ends with the state government, the Queensland government, who did not allow Queensland police officers who are unvaccinated to work. They were desperate in their recruitment process, importing overseas police officers and reporting green behind the ears recruits who shouldn't have been qualified to even be a mall cop down at your local Westfields, and <laughs> here they are given a badge and a gun. And why was she on her own? There's another problem there. Uh, again, stems to the top, the fish rots from the head. Do we have sympathy for the female police officer? I mean, maybe you'll get some militant feminists out there who will say, yes, we have sympathy for her. But you know what I want to say? I have no sympathy for her. Absolutely no sympathy. I think the bloke in this situation was very, very restrained in his approach. He did not hit her. He did not have a go at her. Uh, so credit to him, whoever that gentleman is, and I hope he's uh, doing okay. Uh, what do you make of it, Dean? Mate, it was funny. I, I had a very similar um, say on National Talkback Radio about a, a year and a bit ago where I spoke of 
um, the fact that there were so many undersized, not just females, but male police officers. There used to be a standard. I remember I was going to join the uh, police force with another guy, Charlie Saab, and another guy, Michael Hooper, who we all played football at Marrickville. We all went down in the afternoon. We went down to the uh, police academy down at Redfern. We did the, uh, you know, we did the laps and we did all the stuff you had to do well and truly on track to do that job. I subsequently uh, changed my mind and went into a different field. Um, but the boys went down there, mate, and these are guys, you know, one of them was playing for South Sydney and a, a very stocky police officer. I saw him, uh, King Street, Newtown, one afternoon, we're coming back from kickboxing and there was a large, large Islander man with a gun who was in the pub. There's Charlie running down one of the back streets of Newtown uh, without any regard for himself, chasing after this man, his female partner cowering behind the door. And when I say behind the door of the police car, I don't mean looking over. I mean, she couldn't even see what was happening, screaming out for everybody else to get down. My friend and I went straight across, ran down the road to see if we could help our mate Charlie. We were both friends of his. And I remember that woman subsequently being uh, given an award after, I wish I had video of that. And um, I didn't speak too kindly of her. Um, and I don't think Charlie, a terrific cop, is in the police anymore because of the rules and the regulations they have that push good police officers out. So I had that rant and I said it on radio and it was bad. I couldn't have been worse because there was a woman listening who happened to be the mother of one of the young police officers who was shot in Queensland only a few weeks before who wanted to ring up and basically just tell people um, that her daughter had passed and how proud she was of her daughter who was a black belt in karate or something. So obviously I wasn't going to debate that woman. And of course, there are always exceptions. But for the most part, I will always stand by what you just said and what I say. We need larger physically large police officers. And you can apply that when you're at the pub or a club. I don't want small five foot two token bouncers. I want the big guys. I want the Islanders. I want the Tongans and the Samoans. They're good fellas. They don't start fights, but they can finish one. And maybe that's what we need to be looking at. Some more realistic police uh, officers when it comes to being able to cope with physical threats. Because when you get those who can't, they overreact and the uh, the little man or little woman syndrome kicks in. They may overreact. I don't know if that was the case here. I haven't seen the whole thing leading up to the event, but certainly I've seen it happen a million times. Well, in this situation, it it absolutely reeks of this gender quota situation, right, where we have to have X amount of police officers to fill the uh, or bridge the gender gap and all this nonsense. I mean, there are some areas in industries where that should not apply. One of them is military. Another one is law enforcement you just simply cannot expect uh and uh, all respect to women and fantastic female police officers out there and they're great when they're handling other women that's very important to have female yeah. police officers because you can't have a bloke handle a woman right but in this situation she should not have tried to apprehend the man grab him out of his car and tase him because what was her plan b i've been pulled over plenty of times during the years of lockdowns and <laughs> i know when they pull me That's over the statement yeah they wait and they call in back up they'll call three or four cars just to make sure they've back each other up yeah. so in this situation i'm sorry there's no sympathy and you know why there's no sympathy because many good old school solid police officers walked away from the government walked away from the police service after they were forced and uh, pressured into getting the jab uh cops for truth people like roland crystal and in queensland victoria new south wales it's no exception so those police that uh, left the force during the days of the uh, coercion and government pressure are probably watching these types of videos that are appearing these days and saying well told you so what can you do because that's what the government uh is responsible for 
recruitment. And rather than say sorry, apologize, accept responsibility that they shouldn't have stopped the unvaccinated cops from working, they are so arrogant, the government, the health departments are so arrogant, the police the leadership, the commissioners are so arrogant that they would rather go and recruit foreigners, they'd rather recruit people who are physically not fit, men or women. If you can't do 20 push-ups, and by the way, I can, uh, because in jail, that's all you can do. You just do push-ups all day and night. Uh, you should not be a cop. You should not be a police officer. But speaking of the public service, uh, the paramedics have had a very uh, interesting incident as well with the government, uh, getting a pay rise of between 12 to 28%, on average, about 25% wow. pay rise. It's a huge pay rise. Imagine yeah. if you're earning $100,000 a year as a paramedic, you've now, you're now earning $125,000 plus all your other benefits and so forth. But I think there's a uh, story behind this story, and that is the fact that this is hush money. This is not just 25% extra pay rise. Why would the government agree to that? You know yeah. why? Because it's the paramedics, the frontline workers who are in the ambulances that you hear day and night, wherever you may live in Australia, you all know, you all heard the increased sirens day and night, people picking up paramedics picking up patients who are dying from heart complications, from strokes, from myocarditis, and uh, adverse reactions related to the vaccines. And it's the paramedics who need to be hushed up. And it's the paramedics who rightly have figured out that they can ask the government for any amount of money they want as hush money, because they know what's going on. They know the truth. Uh, also, a lot of paramedics uh, are not silly. These are smart people. This is the, this is the most trusted profession in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Simeon, I, I I tend to agree, mate. And just quickly, because we are running a bit over time, mate. When it comes to the police that left, they were the best. They were the most intuitive. And when you get the the smart police, they don't need to become physically violent. They can always think their way out of a situation. Same can be said of uh, very intelligent security guards and whatnot. Um, you can always find another way around it. Simeon Boykov, always able to find around anything. I very much appreciate your time, mate. Look forward to chatting tomorrow afternoon. I'll chat to you tomorrow with the Vladimir Putin national question time uh, where anyone in the general public can ask a question to vladimir putin i'll bring you that story uh tomorrow dean until then signing out thank you Simeon. it would be great mate if we could get some possibly some examples or maybe even some video or, or certainly some examples of some of those questions that he's prepared to ask just to show our politicians what they should be doing absolutely i think that'll be available stay tuned on tnt uh youtube twitter formerly known as twitter now x uh, we'll have that information for you, uh, exclusive information. Of course, Putin will be uh, taking the questions in Russian, but we'll have uh, translated answers and the highlights. There'll be some very interesting questions all about the war, about geopolitics, local questions. And it is an example to the Western leaders. This is how a leader should face the music. Biden with Zelensky now in Washington, having these press conferences where he's reading answers from predetermined, pre-placed journalists. I mean, how can you have a press conference where a journalist supposedly gives you a question and Biden looks down at a piece of paper and reads the answer? Mate, mate an embarrassment. You, you just can't. Mate, I've got to go. I'm running way over. Simeon Boykov, the Aussie Cossack. Look forward to chatting and doing that tomorrow. You're watching and listening to TNT Radio. Today's News Talk Radio. We, we, we do have some big news. What is it? Yeah, what is it? What is it now? TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Washington's top Republican has rejected Ukraine's pleas for more cash. The US Supreme Court looks set to fast-track its ruling on whether Donald Trump is covered by presidential immunity. The UN General Assembly has demanded an immediate ceasefire in Gaza following an overwhelming vote. 
and a Turkish politician has suffered a heart attack live on television, collapsing on the floor of parliament mere moments after wishing the wrath of Allah upon Israel. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk. This is TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. Now, those of you who have been listening to or watching me for a long time, you would know that when it came to the last three years, those who didn't want to listen to the rest of us, those who wanted to ignore what we had to say and wanted to listen to their experts and quite readily put their arm out for themselves and only themselves, I have very little sympathy if they chose to undergo an experimental gene therapy. But for those who were coerced into it, those who knew it was dangerous or, or suspected it was, who had to do it, to put food on the table, to continue to pay their mortgages, or who were frightened, uh, had the bejesus frightened out of them, and to the point where they went and had their kids have this thing, my heart just goes out to them on a scale that I probably can't even get into words. That's why my next guest is so wonderful, Katie Ash. Ashby Coppins, and she is somebody, she's been a civil litigator for over 20 years, first in New Zealand, now here in Australia, uh, a general civil litigator at first, Katie Catateeth in employment, medico-legal, uh, regulatory disputes and jurisdictional courts. But lately, she's been involved in uh, fighting cases involving the mandates in not just New Zealand, but on both sides of the Tasman. Katie was the legal case manager on the kids' case in New Zealand, which was when she met uh, people like Julian Gillespie and Peter Pham through other experts. She's an absolute champion of the people. Uh, she's now with, I think, PJ O'Brien and Associates and fighting the good fight for many who have undergone absolute just craziness at the uh, hands of the WHO, the UN, and all of us, all of the puppets that we've had to contend with here in Australia. Katie, how are you? Ah, oh, so good, Dean. Thank you. That's a very flattering uh, introduction. Thank you. Well, I, I just appreciate what what you do. I mean, we we were helpless. We felt helpless. It didn't matter how much uh, common sense you had. Didn't matter how much data uh, or how many experts you could quote. We we were lost, and without people in the legal fraternity or uh, some very few in the media, and certainly uh, a few in politics, without you lot, um, we would have been and would continue to be. Excuse the expression. But stuffed. Yeah, look, absolutely, and it's uh, it's been a real trial and tribulation. It's been super tough. Um, it's really been hard losing cases, having never lost cases before, um, and it's also been a new landscape in which to be able to operate. Uh, a lot of people were like, "Oh, well, you know, you've lost another case," and it's like, "Well, yeah, I can't actually give." You know, legal advice and prospects advice in this bizarre new world that we're living in where cornerstone legal pr principles you thought you used to be able to apply and were um, set in concrete uh, have all got, undergone this bizarre shift. So uh, you know, very much hoping that sense is returning uh, now that the, that the um, 
guise of fear has, has dissipated, but let's see, sense does need to prevail and there does need to be some significant spotlights put on uh, our government's behaviour. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'd love to think, and I used to think that we lived in a country where the truth would set you free. You know, I know of laws where it's written into the law that the truth is no defence, just because they'd rather corral us down into a certain narrative, if you will. Um, but it's always horrific when you learn of cases that have lost, despite the fact that I would suggest you have a mountain of data to support your claims and that any logical, reasonable person would find in your favour. And again and again, we keep hearing, not just here, but across the world, that that is not the case. It's even more um, damning when and upsetting when you learn that there are a lot of children that have been injured and involved. And I'd love it if you could tell us about, you know, the kids case um, in New Zealand. Yeah, so that was a really uh, fascinating case. That was a case that we lodged the day that the vaccine was to be rolled out to five to twelve-year-olds, uh, and we uh, it was successful on standing, which I know has been a hiccup for quite a few of the Australian cases. Uh, and we actually got through to a two-day hearing uh, in which the government put on very, very selective evidence, and we had evidence from the likes of Peter McCullough, Robert Malone, Byron Bridal, Gert Vandenbosch. You know, we rolled out the biggest of the biggest guns and had um, some fantastic statistical analysis conducted on the VAERS uh, data and the New Zealand CALM database, which is like the Danes database in Australia. And uh, we actually had, uh, you know, evidence which suggested that you know, children were getting harmed at a great rate, but not just children, all age groups. And yet that wasn't enough for our government to, oh, and the other thing was there was absolutely no risk of COVID to children, yeah. uh, but this massive unknown risk of the vaccine. And so uh, despite that, our governments rolled out the pithiest of evidence that they possibly could. Um, possible risks of, uh, you know, death of, by COVID and these bizarre circumstances, and yet that was sufficient enough for the government to be, uh, the judge to be comfortable that the uh, government had made the right decision. Yeah, and, and Katie, one of the points that you made was that kids, you know, especially those who had no comorbidities, were at virtually zero risk. And that was one of those uh, details that got out even into the mainstream. I think most people, those who were putting their arm out and who did believe this thing was safe and effective, many of them knew that, they'd heard it time and time again, yet still they were managed, um, the media managed, the politicians managed to scare people into getting their kids to put their arm out. And if I really thought too much about that, I mean, literally, I'd, I'd probably lose it. Um, so many of, of my own son's friends, you know, have been vaccinated despite the fact that you know, I've, I spoke at length to many of the parents, pulled them aside, had conversations with them. And again, you know, I mean, who was I? Who was I? That was the thing. But now I'm guessing a lot of people are regretting that. You must hear some real horror stories as to how that's gone wrong as far as kids being vaccinated as well. Oh, I, I think the one that just really chilled me to the core the other day was um, a 14-year-old came across my desktop, um, just her mum had emailed, and, you know, she's gone into early menopause at 14. Wow. Um, uh, and how do you cope with that? You know, your entire womanly purpose is is, is uh, stolen from you before you even have the chance to, to you know, it's just, it's incredible. And, you know, that's just one of many young boys having heart attacks, young girls having heart attacks. Uh, the The injuries are just incredible but you know the injuries are are, are only 
a start on what I perceive we will see, uh, given plasmid gate, the adulteration and contamination of the products, the products being, GM, being GMOs, which is the other case that we're taking against Pfizer and Moderna at the moment uh, in Australia. Uh, so uh, there's a lot to be seen here. Um, and the contamination really comes down to the DNA contamination, uh, but also uh, the things that they never even told the regulators about with the adulteration. Um, there's uh, a couple of extra things in there that they never disclosed. So we're getting to the bottom of it. It's it's horrific. Every day the story never gets better. No, it doesn't. I mean, that in itself is horrific. I mean, maybe I'm thinking too deeply about it, but when you tell me of a teenager that's got into early menopause, um, I mm. mean, you, you could argue um, she was probably somebody that could have had God knows how many children and technically any child who would have otherwise been born and now she'll not be, that is a, an actual child casualty of this, again, the numbers that will never be recorded. But if you look at the big picture, are very, very real. I mean, it's beyond horrific. And I'm just hoping that that's not going to be something that we see more and more of as time goes by. Look, I, at this stage, I'm all I've got is praying that that's not going to happen. I think where we are at, at everything, and they've created this hesitancy around vaccines now, but that has to be you know something that we keep banging the drum about because we've got Moderna down in Melbourne that's entered a 10-year contract with uh, our Australian government uh, that boasts the ability to make 100 million mRNA vaccines a year. Um, wow. You know, how many arms is that going into? How many you know, does do all the childhood uh, vaccinations get converted over to these new um, mRNA gene-based therapies? You know, it's just. It, it, it's frightening. Belief. It sounds more like a threat than a boast, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. I mean, mm. um, I just hope that what's happened over the last three years, I'm getting so many people just, you know, out on the street saying, I did it, but I'd never do it again. I wouldn't succumb again. I wouldn't bow to their to their will again. Um, I hope that is the case. I think, Katie, we've just scraped the uh, tip of the iceberg. In a couple of weeks' time, if you've got time, I'd love to talk to you about a whole bunch of other stuff uh, following what we've done today. But, of course, time is fleeting. So, Katie Ashby-Coppins, I do have to get to my next guest, but I'd firstly like to thank you for the work you're doing. And if you could keep us, A, abreast of it, and if we could do this again and uh, continue on in a couple of weeks, I would absolutely love it. Absolutely, Dean. I look forward to it. Thank you, everybody. That is Katie Ashby-Coppins, and I uh, will be chatting with her uh, very soon. And uh, I believe she's with PJ O'Brien and Associates at the moment and fighting the good fight for those who need help. We're going to be talking to Joanne Nova on the other side of the break here at TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Stop the presses. I have a headline for you. Remember the hearings last weekend and this exchange between uh, Elise Stefanik, the congresswoman from New York, and the uh, UPenn president, Liz McGill, about what's going on on college campuses with the calls for genocide of Jews? It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. But McGill was unfazed. If the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate 
Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. So what's the headline you ask? Sanity prevails. Liz McGill resigned her position as president of UPenn on Saturday. Let's hope that the same thing happens at Harvard and MIT. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio Vision. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The conversation continues Continues. with Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. They're busy in the chat. Uh, Kevin's written, if Moderna has permission to make that many vaccines, it seems to me that they're planning a super pandemic. Otherwise, why construct the facility in the first place? Not much good making 100 million vaccines per year just to have them sitting there. And uh, a good point that he makes. Uh, Joanne Nova, my next guest, always makes terrific points, known as somebody who promotes climate change denial. I don't like that term. A climate realist, a climate truther is what she is, somebody that doesn't believe the BS. She's an Australian writer, a blogger and speaker, and she's uh, very prominent on social media and an absolute champion as well. We're going to talk with Joanne Nova about COP28, Blackout, Bowen and more. G'day, Joanne. How are you? Hi, Dean. Well, thanks. How are you? Uh, not too bad. COP28, maybe they should could call it cop it, because we will cop it if we go ahead with any of it, and our grandkids are going to be copping it for a long, long time. Dean, it's all a theatre. It's the most bizarre thing to uh, to read the statements and to watch it all, because what's going on, and, and they're talking about 70,000 people attending COP28. I mean, it's some giant fashion parade where everyone gets to... Tell us, you show off their latest fashionable kind of virtue signaling, wear their heart on their sleeve kind of thing, while the world does the exact opposite in, in almost every situation to what they're actually saying at COP28. And everyone knows the world is not going to meet the so-called 1.5 degree as if we can control the global temperature anyway. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, the world is not going to meet this. China promised not to build uh, uh, what they promised to control their CO2, their coal uh, plants, and then installed 182 new plants. Well, they certainly controlled them, but it's got nothing to do with what everyone sort of assumed that meant. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So President Z technically didn't lie, but the intent is clearly for China to grow coal, to grow nuclear to become and already is, I guess, the base of global production, while the rest of us are supposed to hobble ourselves so that we can't compete with China. 
And this is the joke, eh? Anthony um, Albanese and Chris Bowen call, you know, this the global superpower. We're going to become the renewable superpower. Uh, I mean, what a joke. We are the renewable super consumer. We don't make the things that we're buying here. We're just a consumer of, of Chinese production. And so it's crazy to call us a superpower. And around the world, when we talk about superpowers, the entire production of renewable energy in our total energy supply is about 6%. So it's tiny. And the world is basically having a transition to fossil fuels still. It's been 100 years of a transition to fossil fuels from the old wood and, um, you know, horses and carts and whatnot. And it continues. Yeah, and it's only through incentives and subsidies that we see people adopting this. Some people do it to be fashionable. Hey, I've got a Tesla, which might be terrific if a few people get Teslas. Let's see what happens if everyone wants a Tesla. Not going to well, work out too well. There's not going to be a resale value or the heavy metal mining. We could go on and on and on. And um, if I people want to virtue signal and be the most fashionable, you know, this is the Levi's of cars. You know, I've got the, you know, most expensive or the, the Nike shoes or whatever. It's it's instead of buying a Lamborghini, they buy, you know, something <laughs> that they can afford, yeah. but they can only afford it because the rest of us are paying for it. So the right. poor are subsidising the rich to get their EVs. It's the same with windmills and solar panels. And most Australians don't realise panels that are being subsidised by poor consumers through their electricity bills. And it's disgusting when you think of it like that. And, and you know, and not to dump too hard on all the people who've put solar panels on their roof because they didn't realise the way it was set up that every time they install solar panels, the bill, electricity bills for their neighbours and everyone else goes up a little bit because they've only paid effectively, I think it was around about half of the cost of installing the actual solar panels. So it, I think people need to know that. They wouldn't brag so much about, oh, look, my electricity bill's gone to nothing since I put solar panels on, if they yeah. realised that everyone else's electricity bill was rising because of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a big scam anyway. I mean, they got everybody to do it. Some massive incentives in the beginning. Now they're yes. paying a pittance uh, during the day. Most people don't have a battery to store it. So at night, you're, you're going off the grid. Some people up to 50 or 60 cents per kilowatt hour. During the day, you're getting paid a couple of cents for it, literally only a couple of cents. The whole thing is a scam. And, and actually, they shouldn't be paid at all because at lunchtime now, we've got too much solar power. The solar bids are coming in negative and wow. they're wiping out the potential for for large solar to be, you know, economic. But the truth is none of it is economic because we need reliable baseload power 24 hours a day. When you wipe out the profits for coal and gas at lunchtime, all that means is they've got the same charges. They have to make the money back. What are they going to do? Well, obviously, they're a business. They have to charge more at dinner time. So all the money you save at lunchtime, you lose at dinner. And the silly idea that we were ever going to have a cheaper grid by building twice the infrastructure. It's just, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> bollocks on steroids. It's just silly. So, uh, yes, it's all a lie. We're sold from beginning to end that solar and wind are cheap and just repeat it and repeat it often. And some people still believe it. And Joanne, can I give you a perfect example? A mate of mine has been a courier all his life. He's about 50, so 30 years, works for a major, major 
company, they just got a 20-something million dollar subsidy so they could go buy electric trucks, some solar panels on the roof, a big battery to store it. And they would not otherwise have done that, not to mention the um, the range of them is, is horrific. I mean, they can stay a couple of suburbs away and do local drops, and that's about it. These things are not practical. They're not realistic. No company in its right mind would buy them without a subsidy. And here they are. You see them on the street thinking, well, they must be good because I see so many, and it's our grandkids that have paid for them. Simple as that. It, 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 yes, and the tragedy of EVs, of course, with the Luton Airport fire only yeah. six weeks ago. But a lot of Australians don't know about that, and so they've managed to keep that a secret because if people realise what the fire risk was, they would, you know... <laughs> As Jeff Buys Cars, a YouTube commentator, said the next morning after this fire, who was ringing up their dealer saying, I want one of those and I'd like to park it in my apartment <laughs> down in the basement? Yeah. You yeah, know, well, it destroyed 1,200 or well, 1,500 cars in that one blaze. And, you know, this is the thing. How can we possibly call this safe with multi-storey car parks when even if it's a diesel that catches fire? We can't put out the fires when an EV is part of the blaze. And, and Joanne, we don't even need to roll forward to a point where everybody's expected to have one. Can you imagine? I mean, have a look at the amount of immigration we have into the country. Everybody's living on top of each other now in high-rise units. You won't be able to get any insurance. Nobody, uh, you know, from the body corporate is going to allow you in due course to park one electric vehicle, let alone everybody's downstairs in the car park. It's not practical. This thing's just a nightmare, and they really haven't thought it through at all. Well, maybe they have thought it through, but this is the point. What is the goal here? There's not even enough uh, rare metals in the world to build lithium, to build the uh, EVs that supposedly we're all supposed to have. So what is the goal with forcing us onto EVs? And it looks like, as I wrote recently, uh, a man from Allianz or from one of the large German um, insurers came out saying that they were working on products now that show that the intent of shifting everyone to EVs is so that they can control the cars, they can remotely stop them, they can um, also offer packages. Presumably what we'll get is a discount. If we buy an EV and we give up the control of the car to the government, we'll get a discount on our registration. Now, I think we should be massively protesting and stepping ahead of any suggestion that that in order to have control of your car, you need to pay more to the government. It means the rich people will be able to drive cars that they can do whatever they want with, and the poor, the riffraff, will end up driving cars that the government can literally just stop and say, well, you know, you've used your carbon quota this week. We've limited your CDC, your, your central digital bank currency card. You just can't buy petrol until Monday and bad luck, you know. Or it's There are so many ways this, uh, this tyrannical power can be abused and I really think people need to wise up and start protesting now because it's coming. We know the Australian government wants to get emission, uh, they've put in emission standards submissions was finished in August for people to talk about emission standards in Australia. And we've seen overseas requiring an emission standard for cars was one of the first steps to making ICE cars, which are combustion engine, old petrol and diesel cars, more expensive, harder to get, and therefore becomes an indirect subsidy for EVs. Yeah. And uh, I mean, on top of everything you said, 
we're going to be facing things like they are currently in London with these rotten ULEZ cameras. And thank God there are people chopping them down at a rate of knots coming down quicker than they're going up, one would like to think. But uh, at the end of the day, we'll be facing all of that. In fact, we'll have our own cars will be dobbing us into the government. I would oh, imagine. my gosh. But, Dean, you remember, this is vandalism we're talking about here. And as Katie Hopkins said, <laughs> we just can't possibly endorse vandalism of those cameras. And you should not go to Tool Station and for 665 by <laughs> spray or foam to destroy those cameras or prevent them from being used to tax the poor and stop them driving around London while the rich live in the centre of London or own an EV and are not affected by these draconian ULEZ car taxes, which £12.50 a day works out yeah. at about $20 Australian no, just for the right to drive your own car. And how many jo older folks in London jo are missing out on visitors right now because yeah. of that law? Joanne, I've got to go. We've got about eight seconds. So I do apologise for cutting you short. We'll do it again real soon. Joanne Nova, everybody. This is TNT Radio. We'll be back after the news.